I'd just like to add one other thing that anybody here, probably under the age of 30, might find this weekend uh, a touch um, a bit boring at times, but, um, but when they get to uh, older years, they look back and I think, I think they're jolly glad they did attend this, this weekend because, you know, it's our ancestry, it sometimes maybe made us what we are. So. Shot a man-eating tigress, which had killed a great many Indians, and for this he got a thousand rupee reward. Once you get over the age of 30 and begin to lose your self-pride, uh, um, it's, it's quite good to be an eccentric Osmaster, and you don't worry about being uh, having eccentric forebears. And I think that's, that's the joy of, of this gathering here. We've got a lot of eccentric people around, and let's, let's live and enjoy that. And when anybody went to visit the house, you'd go in through the front door, which always stuck slightly on a tile, and it would rattle. And you would hear, Kohai, come from the study where Grandpa would be in, either in bed or sitting in a chair. And you had to go and introduce yourself. He, his earliest memories were riding elephants through the forest, and getting the elephants to pick fruits, or getting the maha to get the elephant to pick fruits and uh, leaves off the trees so that he could identify them. And with that grounding in botany, he then went on to do forestry. I remember sitting in the kitchen at Ash Lynn's with, when, when we were children and eating pigeon pie and getting the shot and, and what have you. We weren't allowed to eat in the dining room, we had to eat in the kitchen with the cook. Uh Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with the Osmiston family, I guess. With my family, with one quarter of my genetic inheritance. It is 10 to 9 in the morning. It's a Saturday morning, so I normally would not be on a train at this time. And I'm on my way to a place in Sussex called Pulbra, where I'm attending a family reunion. It's an interesting thing for me, this. When I was growing up, I kind of tried to ignore this side of the family, try to ignore that it even really existed. I was trying to wipe it from my own personal history and, and not be connected to it. There's complicated reasons for that. I mean, the Osmiston family, I don't know very much about it. I guess I'll be learning a lot more about it today, but my mum's parents, her dad was part of the Osmiston family. I guess you could say posh. My granddad was a doctor. He was also a socialist and in the CND and, and, and lots of other things, but he was born in India where he was, his family were part of the Raj over there. Uh, her mum was from a, a working class village in Yorkshire, so they came together. So as a 15-year-old growing up in a comprehensive school with a, a social worker for a mother and a father who was retired but had made documentary films for the coal board and also for a time with a stepdad from a working-class Northern Irish background and going to a comprehensive school where a lot of my friends were working-class and being quite politically conscious, being part of left-leaning 
political groups when I was a teenager and being immersed in left-wing and feminist politics. That was me at that time of my life and I didn't want to sort of know about the, I guess, aristocracy, I guess, and the Raj and all of that stuff that I was descended from because I don't like those things and they didn't really have... They didn't feel like they had any kind of connection to my life uh, growing up in, in Coventry and in Cardiff. I guess when I was really young and lived in North Wales, I had no idea really about that sort of thing at all. He, he went out to India and was a forester. And so when I was growing up, you used to say he was part of the Raj. Wow. Well, and, and, and so in my head, they were like no, these no, evil, no. like destroyers well, no, no, of well, no, civilizations. No, no. But they were just, I mean, I'm not saying just foresters. They, that's a part of the empire, but well, which is what you were getting at. But yes. it was. But it's uh, the way I said it, which was probably completely inaccurate. <laughs> you know I me. Mean? No, it's nice to, uh, to, to find out the truth after all these years. It's good. Someone's written a book about that family. And it was a old-fashioned looking book that was in the kitchen on the bookshelf for a long period of time. I know my brother read it and looked through it at least. I uh, flicked through the first couple of pages, looked vaguely at family tree bits, but I didn't read the book. And I didn't pay attention when my mum was talking to me about my family history. I do remember going to a family reunion a while back. It was a sunny day. When I went to that family reunion, I don't really remember anybody from it, so I don't think I'll necessarily recognise anyone today. I mean, I know some members of the immediate family. I know my, my, my mum's cousin, and I know my aunt and my uncle, and my, I know my gran, and my, I knew my granddad before he passed away. But I don't really know any of these people. There's a, a family newsletter every year, but I've ignored that. And all I can say is that when I went on that family reunion first time the only thing I kind of took away from that and remembered was that I'm related distantly very distantly to the Duchess of York which was something I was pretty ashamed of when I was you know a teenager and I, I never would say any say to anybody and then when I when I went to university I started to find it quite amusing to to bring this 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 factoid out and say uh, that I was related to the Duchess of York because it, it does seem kind of surreal if you know me mm. and uh, nowadays I, I don't know where, where, I, where I stand on that I mean one's blood is just one's blood and people are just people I guess are the kind of points of view I'm at and so I'm sort of hoping to go along today and like the people and get on and, 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 and have them like me and, and just connect as human beings and I'm partly afraid that my class prejudices or and my lack of refinement will mean that they that, that, that they won't like me and I won't like them. Certainly I anticipate them probably being wealthy and wealth is something that, that I, I struggle to condone because so many people are not wealthy. Hopefully they won't judge me for not having the keys to how to behave and not having the keys to how to kind of get ahead in society. I'm on the itinerary, which is an interesting thing to be. When they contacted everybody about this reunion and I decided, well, I know I'm always saying no to these things, but getting better acquainted means that I should say yes to more things. 
and I should try to get better acquainted with other people, with different people, with people who are different from me, and also get better acquainted with myself, because, as I say, this is a quarter of who I am. I mean, maybe less than a quarter if you can say that my stepdad and my school and my number of schools and all of the people I've met in my world have also shaped me that I don't think necessarily you can you can tie it all down to the to the four strands of genes that I got from my parents parents but uh, at the same time it's part of who I am and so I should be trying to get better acquainted with that I'm just so busy at the moment that I haven't even had time to really think about this trip or prepare for it in fact I said yes to it ages and ages ago and really it's very inconvenient uh, happening when it's happening because I've just got so much work to do around this and uh, it's been really hard to just get these two days free to to, to go and, and have this experience and it does seem strange today I'm leaving London on a train as as everybody else well on my Twitter feed anyway but certainly a lot of other people who have similar politics to me or, or similar feelings to me are heading into London to have this kind of big people's assembly meet up uh, and the people's assembly is something that I do broadly approve of and I'm watching with hope uh, of, of, of a kind of coalition of, of people getting together to oppose the to oppose the austerity measures and the cuts um, my 15 year old self would be turning in his, his well in his whatever he was in like bed <laughs> My 15-year-old self would not be happy with me if he was to see that in, you know, 16, 17 years later, his future self was not at this big meeting of the left, but is instead going to see the side of the family that he was pretending didn't even exist back in those days. One of the things that getting better acquainted has done since, and it, and it took me by surprise this, is that it is being part of a, a process of kind of engaging with that 15 year old self of mine I guess where I've sort of talked to people from privileged backgrounds as well as people from from not privileged background and sitting down for an hour and talking to somebody about them it breaks down prejudice even if that prejudice has some sound political uh, structural problems like reasoning behind it sure and I haven't changed my problems with the structures of society but I think it is so so important to remember that everybody within any structure is still a person with their own complicated lives and complicated things that are fed into who they are and people aren't who you'd expect and that's what makes people so interesting. So I'm hoping to find that the people I see today will not be who I expect. So one of the things that is going to happen in the afternoon, and I'm like I say, I'm on the itinerary, is that I am hosting an open mic sort of session for people to have reminiscences about the family. And so you'll hear their voices a little bit later on in this episode. And I guess they'll hear my voice before they hear their voices. And I hope that I have not offended them. This is my before I meet you thoughts. And this is who I am. And you'll get to know me in a bit. So you will make your own minds up when you meet me in person. And then I guess you'll make your minds up secondarily when you hear me after the fact.
But uh, I thought I would say yes to coming to this family reunion and respond to the newsletter people and say, hey, yeah, I do a podcast. And I think it would be really interesting to to do some podcasting with the people there and, and, and hear from them because getting better acquainted is many things. One of the things it is is, a, is an oral history and what better opportunity to get history than a, a family reunion where people study the history of the family. My train comes in 10 minutes before this, a slideshow starts, which is, I'm not sure what that slideshow is going to be about. And then after that, there's going to be a talk by Gwillem Roberts, C-B-E-F-R-E-N-G, what the hell that means, I don't know, about the Butterfly Company, 1790 to 2009. Oh, there we go. It's the Butterly Company, not the Butterfly Company. It's set up, apparently, according to this bit of paper by John Wright in 1758. And looking at this bit of paper, it doesn't seem exactly clear if John Osbiston was called Osbiston or John Wright, but uh, this is the kind of information that... I mean, I guess that's one of the things I am a little bit afraid of, like... I don't want this episode of my show to be, like... somebody telling you about their dream, you know? Like, telling someone about their family history. Like... You, you just get bombarded with names and events and dates and it doesn't really tell you who the people were or or who the people are and so I'm hoping that I'll be able to, to get an idea of who the people in my extended family are now as well as what they think and how their relationship to family history and the events from the past and that we'll be able to get some stories rather than just kind of lots and lots of details uh, but no no things to get your teeth into to, to sort of connect you to the to the ideas I mean I think that's the thing with, with, with history generally is that the problem we have is putting ourselves into the shoes of, of other people in the past different shaped shoes that were made in, diff- in different ways walking through different landscapes but being still human beings underneath <coughs> and it's, it's connecting to the human beings and uh, finding the commonalities that kind of brings history alive and that's hopefully what makes this show work and so I hope that this doesn't end up being just a series of kind of names and dates and that, that, but I, I hope that it isn't because and I don't think it will be because I'll be struggling to understand things, the past, history, the aristocracy, the we are now approaching Red Hill. the British Empire, and how it relates to me, and how it relates to my family, and how it relates to you, I guess, and to people who might be listening. So hopefully, through the lens of me struggling to find out things, and I'm going there completely blank. In a way, it's a good thing for the show that I didn't really pay any attention growing up. I don't really have any any background. I'm going in blind. Everything will have to be explained to me. I mean, in a way, that might have set me back as well. I mean, I, I don't know what, what there is. I don't have a framework, so I don't know if I'm missing any important details or missing anything. They're very different from a normal getting better acquainted experience where I'm having a conversation with somebody that I know some stuff about. So I've got some signposts, some ideas of where I want to go where I want to go with what I'm doing whereas this is very open I don't really know what uh, I want to get from this experience 
I don't really want to have loads of conversations about class necessarily because that can really alienate people especially when it's across class conversations so I don't want to spend the whole time grappling with that nettle grasping that nettle and so I really don't know what I want to get from this experience I haven't really had time to think about what I want to get from this experience and when I said yes to it all of those months ago I'm not even I mean I'm not sure what I wanted to get from it then I mean I like to be liked who doesn't and so I'll I hope to be liked by the people that I meet and I as I said earlier on I hope to like them and I hope to get some kind of sense about life I guess about who I am and how everything fits together. That's what I'm always hoping for, I guess. That's what this show's all about. So, from slideshows and talks and recording people's stories and walking round grounds and looking at photographs and eating food and staying in a hotel, all things that are relatively rare in my life. I mean, eating posh food, not eating food, obviously I eat food all the time. <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting experience. Hopefully. For you as well as for me. family photos and documents and stuff to look at which will be interesting for me because I'll be looking at them rather than ignoring them like I tried to in the past. Okay so here we are at the Osmiston family reunion. We've got, I'm in a marquee, there's a bit of wind, I just might put the wind sock on. We're in a marquee, we've got piles of books around, uh, the Osmiston Books, Old Alley or Travels Long Ago by John Osmiston. We've got pictures of people all around. And we've got memorabilia. There's a, there's a kind of leopard or tiger skin. And we've got some family trees. Uh, the Osmiston family began as the Wright family. And I'm going to be capturing some people's opinions about this. I haven't met your daughter Linda. Hello, Linda. Um, I'm rec I'm recording at the moment, oh, though, just well, so you right, know. Good. No, no. So uh, this is Stephen, cousin. Hello, I know I'm you Stephen. as co cousin Stephen. I'm cousin Stephen. Hello, cousin David. Yes, <laughs> Lovely to see you again. That's that's. that's so we, we both live in London. We seldom see each other in London. I that think, is true. Because we live in different parts. Different of parts of yeah, London. Yeah, that's yeah, right. You're you're in the far north, and we're in the far south. That's right. I think we move yeah. in different circles as well that, oh, that, that probably I'm, helps I'm Doesn't not sure help. about that well, I, well yeah I, I, I'm always in sort of South London or East London but um, uh, what do you do? Well, music you clubs and stuff you know. well you do stuff in South London too do you yeah I'm all over I, I travel all over London so so where do you come to in South London which, um, which? I go to Brixton a lot I go to oh, yeah. Streatham oh, well we we live near Brixton Brox, 
But anyway, uh, so we are here at the family reunion. Is this? Have you been at the last few? Well, I think I was at the last one, which is, I think it must be all of ten years ago. It was at this village called Kirtlington, north of Oxford. That's the last one I went to. I think there was one in '99. Yeah, that that was, that seems about right. Yeah, that perhaps is the one. Yeah, I didn't go to that one. one, and then the one before that I went to when I was 13. I think I saw ah. a picture of me then. And where was that one? Um, I think that was in Oxford as well. I think. Oh right. Okay. Sunny well, day. I, that's all I've I remember. I've certainly been to one in Oxford. In fact, I was just looking at a picture. I think that was taken at that. Okay. Yeah, oh, my mum's got one. It might have been my mum's showing around. Yeah, yeah. I remember that picture from the, yes. the hall seat thing that my mum had. Yes. Oh, well, that was at, certainly in, in Old House Barham. I remember that very well. And this is Lionel here, um, my grandfather, your 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 great grandfather, presumably. Yes. Ah. Did you ever meet him or not? I met no. I, I met my granddad, but not much. Not even my grandfather very much. Really, when no. I think about it, I think no, he passed right. away when I was relatively young. Well, he he lived to be ninety nine, and he lived. He worked. I'm just trying to think in which year he died, but I think it was in the in the nineteen sixties. But I'm not sure which year. Wow. Um, yes, in fact, I'm, I think I think it was the nineteen sixties because my mother then moved into the house where he lived and was looking after him for several years. This is Old House Barrow. And um, my father then died, and so effectively my mother and I lived with him in this Old House Barrow house, which you probably have visited, have you, or seen I'm, at least. I may have done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know there's quite, there's quite a few houses in the family kind yeah. of past, isn't there? There's a well, few Old significant... House Barrow was a lovely uh, Queen Anne house, which was owned by... Lionel and um, his family and they bought it I think when they came back from from India perhaps not immediately no not immediately because then they were working in various places like the forest of Dean and the new forest but then eventually they bought this house in East Kent in this village Barham which is not far from Canterbury that's right, and they went out to India to be foresters for a that's bit. That's right, that's after they came back, of course, that they were... And my mother, I mean, your, your, your um, grandfather would have um, also been living in, in, in the forests of India with, with his parents, as my mother did. And in fact, I have got a photograph in, in London of um, my mother and the two little boys, Campion and Bob, in a sort of bullock cart, being sort of uh, led around in, by some Indian servants. Very nice, I mean, it puts it all in context. But that photograph would have been taken in about 1906 or 7, 1906-1907. Because I think I'm right in saying that your grandfather, Robert, was a couple of years older than my mother. My mother was born in 1905. Yeah, I, I think right. that's probably right. I don't. Yeah, I'm yeah. very, you know, very bad at yeah. <clears throat> bad at any any ages of people who, uh, yeah, who 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 are that generation. I, I yeah. kind of, I, yeah. I always know my dad's age because he's yeah. older than everybody else. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Dad, by the way. Oh, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah he's How old good. Is he he is 89. Is he? Well done, him. Do <laughs> do give him my fond regards. I will. I live yeah. in the same street as him, so I see oh, him regularly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it'd be really good to see him again, actually. But, 
Well, yeah, might, well, might, that could happen. We're all yeah. in London. Exactly. Might pop over sometime. Yeah, you yeah. should. Yeah. No, no, it'd be really You'd nice. Be welcome. What's he doing? I mean, um, uh, he, well, he's retired. He's writing. Yeah. Um, oh, he's writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. I remember him writing. Um, it must have been in North Wales, in that that village in North Wales. What was that? Affonwen. Affonwen, that's right. Because we visited there several times, and I, I remember your father was writing on one of his early computers in Amstrad, I think, or something. He, he was sort of right. Yeah. I don't know what he was writing, but he was writing a lot of stuff on an Amstrad. Yeah, that's right. That's and all the screen right. was green, if you remember. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I remember it very well. No, I know it's a memory from. No, it's a very yeah, uh, yeah. distinct memory from my childhood. That yeah, day, yeah, yes, yes. I don't know what he was writing. It'd be interesting to know. Was it the stuff that was published? Um, it, well, it was. It was novels, but they. I don't. I mean, he self-published some of them, but they haven't yeah. exactly been published. No. No. Right. 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 Yeah, it seems to be raining outside. Yeah, We're in the right we, place, but maybe you need to get your there. stuff out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Lindy. I think. Hello. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm Dave Pickering. I'm doing the. Po- I'm like recording people's sort of memories of the family today right. so I don't, I don't know if well it, maybe I could just this for one yes that's it what I thought it might be quite easy um, Templeman who lived in the lodge house of Philip Wright's house he built in McKenleth or somewhere around there to sort of try to ape Osmiston right but ran out of money okay I mean it's one of those and he asked me had I got um, this from Ben's descended Ben Wright um, had I got any photographs of Philip well this is Philip taken in um, Montreal Wow! and in fact um, for a short period we had a painting that he commissioned off the Greenland coast by Rasmussen who's quite a famous Arctic scene painter and then there he said have you got a photograph of Montauk because Philip bought this villa in Montauk right and he hadn't got any photograph of it would I help so I emailed him and said, I have a photograph for Montauk. Because <laughs> he got very excited, you see. And he rang me up and he said, Bill, Bill, well, you know, great. You know, when can I see it? Because I know you can't scan very well. I said, well, it's his pet dog, Poodle. Wow. <laughs> so this was photographed in Montauk. And these so are... often you can find where these photographs were taken can tell you a lot. These are all the um, cousins of... John Wright Osmiston. They're very old. What, when are they from? The Abyss of 1880, somewhere around Wow. There. See the, the plum trees um, here, um, the wigrams, uh, the foxes. Of course, that's a great engineering dynasty. Um, ah, okay. You see... Um, Fox, Fox Henderson. Yeah, the Fox and Partners, engineers, right? Crystal yeah. Palace, etc. Right. So their daughters married the father and then the... Um, uh, his two sons were married to the right and then it is fascinating the different connections when my older son was born in 1970 the district nurse or the nurse we had in for our, for the birth um, knew the Osmistons up at Keswick up in the Lake District yeah in the Lake right? District right. Um, one of the sons who at that time was in prison on the Isle of Wight I didn't know liked to take cars that he liked that he didn't own anyway um, and she said well have you met the Osmistons in Charlton St Giles so at that time there was an Osmiston family living in Charlton St Giles but with a new family and very busy I never made contact so somewhere here 
there's an Osmiston who lives in Char who lived in Charlton St Giles. Well, that's the thing. So about, I've got to find out. Yeah, that's the thing about things like days like today. Everybody comes from all over. They've all sort of very very distantly related, but you've all, right. everyone's got this kind of shared interest in the family history. Yeah. It's, and then as history fan, you know, it evolves. I mean, yeah, we've got my mother's wartime diary. Oh wow. Which, which um, Arthur Fitzherbert writes home, which FB moved to in Warwick. And we were there during the war after father was in County of Warwick, okay. Hurricane Squadron. Oh, wow. He was shot down, posted missing in May 40. So in 29th of May, mother started writing this diary, which we didn't find until 2003, 4, in the attic, which was a personal note to my father in case he came home. Oh, wow. So all the. He, did he come? 100%. It wasn't written for anybody else except father. And, and which is very rare indeed in a dark. And did he come home? No. So that but, so only that but you were the we first people to read it. The mother was right because he landed his hurricane. We knew that. We knew that he got out of the hurricane and led a far fight against the Germans. How do we know that for certain? Because in Charvin St Giles, um, I think it was 48, somewhere around there. Mother had May from the village to help her in the house, being a single parent mother. And in about 1984, made retired after 30 odd years. And so she invited May and Arthur up for tea on her birthday. And Arthur came up, her husband, and he saw this portrait on the wall of my father. So I'm sure I met your husband, Mrs. Wright. So when the garage business for the wall, no, I was too young. I signed up, went across to France, and they said, we were the only people who stopped Rommel. <laughs> he ran away from Monty, <laughs> and he only stopped because he ran out of petrol. And in fact, there was a back, and so mother said, oh, well, how was that? And he said, well, we had a battle outside her house, and we stopped him for 48 hours, and enabled our troops to get to Boulogne and, uh, and to Dunkirk. Oh, wow. And mother said, um, where was that? And he said, a little village called Bairnville. And mother said, that's where Gilbert is buried with three men from the Durham Light Infantry. Oh, wow, that's And a, he said, did he, did he fly a hurricane? Yes. Well, my aunt went out there before, in 47, and the mayor of the village had said that father had been taken wounded into a barn where he died. We knew that. But was that from injuries when he crashed? I mean, the County Warwick squadron was five years out of seven, so each side of 1930, won the Easter Trophy, which was the best auxiliary air force squadron. Uh, there were bombers at that time, Hawker Hines, um, and uh, for bombing, formation flying, aerobatics, um, turnout, quality of engineering and service. And they won that trophy, um, Chobham Trophy, at the Hendon Air Show. In fact, in 34 5, um, father was still flying. And he, so they were practicing. So mother was on playing golf at Northwood um, Golf Club and he did some aerodynamic things. And uh, one of the bomb sites fell off on the seventh fairway. So when I took mother to 
the 50th anniversary of the Battle of Britain, although father didn't qualify because he was killed 22nd of May, 22nd, 23rd of May. The chap, one of the Mackindale's guinea pigs, you know, face all messed up, got up and said, I'm not going to talk about the Battle of Britain. I'm going to talk about the Battle of France. Because it was the Battle of France that we learned how to fight that enabled us to win the Battle of Britain. Wow, okay. And in fact, Father, who was a member of the Harrow team that won the Ashburton Trophy, was a crack shot. And he went from Tangmere to Air Station South Wales. I'm not where good he on worked air on, He right. worked on um, re-zeroing the Hurricane's cannon before going up to Wick, um, defending the Scarpa flow. Okay. And he flew down from Wick to Hawkins in Kent. And he was only there a couple of days before he was killed. Wow. But this archive we've got, which is with the County of Warwick record office, all these bits and pieces is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And some of it's in the book um, there, which if you're interested in his, you know, drives the canteen into into Coventry, first canteen into Coventry after the Blitz. Oh, so right. family, you know, it, it, uh, the point I'm making here is that it, it is an evolving thing. Yeah. It is it's absolutely. an evolving thing, you know. <clears throat> it, it's not something that's, that's dead, it's not something that's just in the past. You know, it's something that's it's carrying on. on. And, and the engineering you see in the genes. My son's working for a company that's got over a hundred chartered engineers. That's probably right. One of the highest engineering skilled companies in the world, probably. I mean, I didn't really know yeah. very much about uh, about the engineering yes. stuff. But after watching all of that today, I mean, yeah, that's right. it, it was really you know. surprising how many uh, things that our family has kind of been. Partly I mean, responsible when you think for about making, it, you know, yeah. the, the HMS Warrior, they had a time team program, was it um, end of um, 2011? Yeah. Time team special on the shipbuilding industry of the Thames. And they cabled up to, to Derby, gave the exact measurement of the tie beams, they rolled it and had it down to, to fit in 10 days. Yeah. yeah. Well, we made ships, we made bridges, we made uh, yeah. St Pancras Station. You know, the, Victoria the Victoria Falls Bridge, yeah. which I think is one of the one of the um, brilliant pieces of engineering yeah and and the Falkirk wheel was built on time and on budget so the, the captain of the barge as we went up was saying you know this on time and I said yeah good British company he said I said not like the Scottish ones who can't produce their parliament five times over budget and two years late, whatever, sort of answered, you want to be chucked overboard, but give him his due. He then, he knew the Butley history. He knew about St Pancras, he knew about the bridges in India. Okay. So that's Captain of the Barge going up on the Falkirk wheel. Canals, a yeah, good friend canals, of mine has done a very mines. sort of book of record on the Crom Cromford High Peak Railway. The um, Derbyshire Historical Society uh, published it. So, if you want to, you know, but it tells you in detail. And the amount of money Francis and FB put into the Cromford High Peak Railway never really made money. I have um, told HS2 Limited the ISBN number, suggest they read it. 
<laughs> well, they will. Learn a lesson. Damn marketing forecasts is is what let them down. The engineering was was adventuresome. Yeah. But it was the fact that their freight traffic didn't didn't appear. But did it? Did the bottle company actually build some batteries, or did they just supply beams for the roof? If it hadn't been for Allen's engineering skill, the architect would not have been able to divine that engine shape. But it was just that it was the metal beams that they, they designed that they yeah, brought to. They didn't actually build them. Say twice that they built some pancreas, but I don't think he wasn't a prime contractor. You know, no, no, but, no. But, but Butterley was a subcontractor providing the roof beams. Yes, but without, right. I mean, there's That's a BBC. My spy within the BBC told me, so I said, find out why but Francis was not mentioned because he bankrolled um, the Midland when they couldn't pay him. And they said, right, um, there's a condition. You abolish wooden seats so my miners can go on holiday in comfort, my unfounders and brickworkers, which they did, and it's considered in commercial history of the period as a brilliant um, uh, marketing exercise. And, um, you know, without that alloy, um, they wouldn't have been able to design, they would not have been able to build some pancreas to that design. No, fair enough. I, I, I'm not going to argue with any of that. I don't, that seems sensible. You know, I mean, sense. But if you don't get your engineering right, like HS2, they were saying in one of their consultations, they were saying, you know, well, why is there a train that running in service at 250, 60 miles an hour? No, well, no. We, we tested out the design. Or oh, the French have tried it. He said, well, why did they opt for 220? Right. Because maybe faster than that, they could see it didn't work. No answer. Well, I, I guess engineering, like family, is something that carries on and it evolves and people can find new ways. But, yeah. Uh, it's a multidiscipline. Yeah. Any project is a multidiscipline project. Okay. Whether it's medical or whatever. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Well, thank you very, thank you very much. Well, you uh, that's, that was, that you was said you're lucky. Bill, right? From Easter until about four weeks ago, I couldn't talk. Well, I've caught you at the right time. That's excellent. And once I get going, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks. And this is your the diary, Doreen's diary. She could not have loved more. The wartime diary of Doreen Wright. Doreen's diary. So this is 9.99 for sale. Uh, that was Bill Wright there. Published by the Leek Wharton History Group. What I was thinking of doing was, you know the magazine Kahai. Yes. So what's your name, sorry? I don't I'm, even know. I've got my I'm, name I'm badge Mark, out. I'm Mark Giles. I'm one of the grandsons of BBO Osmerson. Right. Um, Bertram Osmerson, that is. Okay. Who is one of John Wright's second family and that's right he had 15 children he did him, yeah. uh, and uh, Bertram was one of the one of the, the second lot right about the middle of them now Bertram grew up and was trained as a forester and spent his life working in India where most of his children were born and when he did finally retire he retired to Oxford and lived at a, a house 116 Banbury Road where he became very much the head of his own largish family, my mother being one of his daughters, his youngest daughter. I first met B.B.O. Osmerson 
1945, just before the end of the war, when we came back from South Africa, where we'd been evacuated during the emergency from Singapore. My father was a prisoner of war out there. And during his latter years, BBO became less steady on his feet. And when he was about 89, he, he had shingles rather badly, which affected his balance. So his bedroom was moved downstairs into the hall. Now, 116 Banbury Road, which was simply known as 116 to everybody, almost universally, became the centre of the family. And when anybody went to visit the house, you'd go in through the front door, which always stuck slightly on a tile, and it would rattle. And you would hear, Kohai, come from the study where Grandpa would be in, either in bed or sitting in a chair. And you had to go and introduce yourself to say who you were. Grandpa sometimes wondered if you were his own sons or grandchildren or whatever, but once informed, he was all right. And when he finally died, I suspect that my godfather and uncle, Uncle Gordon, and my aunt Ollie, who were both children of BBO, got together to decide to do a family magazine. And for want of a better name, they decided on um, the name Kohai. Now, there are various ways of pronouncing this, but this is how Grandpa always pronounced it. It was a very sharp Kohai as you came through the door. And as I said, you had to go and explain who you were. And Kohai in Hindustani, or Hindi it would be now, means who's there. Okay. Uh, so as a title to the magazine, it's quite a good name, although it originated from BBO and has finally spread to cover the yeah. whole of the Wright family. Well, that makes, I, I always wondered what Koyai meant, actually, so that's really good to know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Grandpa, he lived till he was 93. He, um, he had various um, experiences, you probably know, in India. He shot a man-eating tigress, which had killed a great many Indians, and for this he got a thousand rupee reward. The way he went hunting for this was rather unusual. He and a young friend decided that they would try and shoot this tigress that had eluded all the big game hunters for years, and hence the reward on its head. And he and his friend wandered into the jungle armed with considerable ignorance and a rifle each. The first time they went into the jungle, absolutely nothing happened. The second time, the tigress leapt on his friend and Grandpa, who was a man of instant decision, as he told me, I turned and I shot it and he hit the tiger, not his friend, which promptly left his friend, who was very badly mauled, ran off into the jungle and he found it dead a few yards away, then went back to his friend. This had two consequences. One was at a, a governor's party or a viceroy's party. He was there with his boss and they were talking about this and somebody said, oh no, you couldn't possibly have shot that thing on foot. And his boss said to him, what do you think, Osmond? And he said, well, I shot it. <laughs> so it acquired instant fame in India amongst the Pakistans. The other more lasting result was that on his way out to India was a relatively young and impecunious man going out in the forestry service. He had met his future wife, May Hutchinson, on board the ship where they fell madly in love but May Hutchinson's mother was a bit of a dragon and would have nothing of it and forbade them to meet or even write to each other until after the tiger event, 
there was a little paragraph in the Times saying English hero kills man-eating tiger and his name was mentioned after which he became more acceptable and they were allowed to write to each other oh. again and the rest is history. Wow that's good, that's a nice, that's great, those are great stories. Well thanks very much, that's brilliant. Well I'll, maybe I'll catch you later for some more. Perhaps more amusing ones to do with him in his old age. Okay, well, I'll try and catch you later. I won't Okay, excellent. See you soon. So, we're going to have an open mic session with me. Then there's going to be walking around Hawkeshurst House, which is seven acres of semi formal garden, which was part of the original garden of Hawks. Hurst Court in John Osmiston's lifetime. Now John Osmiston is the big name in the family. I don't really know what he did, who he is, but he's the one that I think is why the family has a kind of name and, a, and has had success. So it'll be interesting to find out. I certainly don't have seven acres of semi-formal garden that I can walk around in my life. It seems very. It feels very removed that idea of, of such a thing. That I don't think it's even owned by the family anymore. My mother was a rice, and my wife was a plum tree, because his wife was Selina Fanny plum tree. And there was another third thing to do with food, which we've all forgotten. Okay, so we're descended from the rices. Uh, well, it, John Os uh, John Wright right changed his name to Osmiston. That's right. <laughs> and he had two wives, and his second wife wife was Florence Rice. That's right, he, and they had 15 children altogether. Well, he had somebody's first one. So no wonder there's so many of us. Oh, exactly. So no wonder there's so many scones. And we're standing at the moment in, what's it called, this place? Hawkehurst Court. Hawkehurst Court, which is now a, a number of different houses owned by different people, but used to belong completely to John Osmiston. Yes. And he, he changed his name to Osmiston because... Because he built Osmiston Manor. In yes. And then he had, and Actually, then he sold that, that Osmiston Manor. That was outside Manor. the village of Osmiston, and that's why I assume he changed his name. But then he sold the manor, and bought this place. Well, he had to because he went bankrupt. Ah, well, there we go. I mean, there seems to be a few bits where we went bankrupt at different times. Although we had this kind of brilliant company that built all of this industry and coal mines and canals and all of that. But we, but then. You, you, you know the things that they were showing us about how they tried to sell it? First of all, I think it was sold as a school. Uh, but then even after that, no one wanted such a big place because it was the biggest... Manor in Europe or something? Uh, 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 the second biggest house in England. Right. Chatsworth being the largest. OK. And so I've just, I just added a lot to that for no reason. <laughs> it was what? the biggest house in the world. No, no, no. It was not. But, 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 but the <clears throat> second English house of its time, but of course, it doesn't exist anymore. And they built, like, I mean, they built loads and loads of stuff. That's what I was impressed by, even though I don't find all that well, engineering Bustley talk easy to, to listen to. Yeah, well, the Busley Company, when you think of where Osmiston was, that was in Derbyshire. Well, the Busley Company that, uh, you know, was taken over in, in different ways by different parts of the Wright family was actually right in the centre of England, yeah. um, sort of on the border. Well, they did coal mines, they did steel, they did... Uh, engineering. Engineering generally, so they did boats. Yeah. They did... Uh, they, they put 
stuff in all of these different landmarks that people will know, like uh, Crystal, not Crystal no. Palace. What's it um, called? What's it called? What's it called? Vauxhall Bridge was one of them. St Pancras Station. St Pancras Station uh, uh, and the whole of the ironwork on the top there. Um, so, and, and they did lots and lots of different patents. Um, and That's right, they owned loads of patents. They showed us that Yeah. in the talk. Uh, I was going to say other bridges. There was a big bridge in India, wasn't there? There was a massive Indian bridge. There were uh, some of the bridges in... Well, that the company went on to make some of the bridges, like the bridge I walk over when I'm going to do my interviews in the Royal Festival Hall was... Uh, oh, yes. That, But that was after our family were no longer part of it, after we, it was getting... Uh, it got taken over by someone taken else. Over by the Hanson Trust or something That's like that. right. But there was a big... Like, yeah, we, we owned all of it for a while, didn't we? I mean, it's, it was yes. started by two other guys and then we, our family and somebody else came in. There was four of them and then gradually over the years... The rights. Us, us rights at that it point. The, the rights, rights yes. took over the whole thing. Yeah. How did the forestry happen? How did the forestry come from all of that industry stuff? Like, our branch was from the foresters, wasn't well, it? Grandad was a, I mean, we, would have been a forester, we, we, but we, he came we, over here because he I got mean, TV. I obviously, the different, different parts of the Wright family, and John Wright is our direct descendant, but obviously the other rights are different parts of the Wright family. I mean, the story was taken from the Wright family p- perspective yeah. at, for the Busley Company. Right. Um, <laughs> so of these 15 children, it just happened that that, that my grandfather, Lionel Osmiston, uh, decided to become a forester. And he was the 11th son out of 15 children of John Osmiston. Okay. So he actually lived at Osmiston Manor. Uh, which was pulled down, I think they said, in 1962. So it doesn't exist anymore. But So, and um, grand, Grandad came over, he had uh, tuberculosis, didn't he? So he was well, he came over. No, 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 no. no what happened, I think uh, two of the children died. And because of that, obviously, uh, Grandpa and Granny got very worried about the health of their children. And so when... Um, Uncle Camp would have been, I think, about six, and, and, and my father would have been about four. They were sent over on the boat with an ayah uh, to go and stay with a relative who is um, a rector in, in, in Kent. Okay. And so he was actually brought up by this relative who, who, who was a rector. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, obviously, grandfather and, and granny would have come back. And and um, so I think there should have been six children, but there were four that survived. Okay, but we seem to have had lots of children all the time, all over the place as a family. And we seem to have lots of engineering. Seems to be a big feature. We haven't really got that, have we, Mum? To be honest. Well, Bobby's. No, but not us. Us, our branch, my cousins. Yeah, my cousins totally have. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My cousins totally have. We've taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All your kids have got the wrong genes. Well, no, they're different. None of us went for the engineering. (laughs) But uh, what was the other strands? There seems to have generally been going into money and going out of money. Uh, Well, a bit of that here and there, but that's good and bad business sense. Yeah, I suppose you could put it that way. I mean, I mean, like they they were saying that very often. The women of the family had better business sense than the men, and also ministry. I guess a lot of them were were, were religious. Oh yes, the, the other thing was the the religious streak, which certainly my grandfather had. Yeah, I mean, I I ain't got none of that really. 
and he he had a big interest in 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 the missionary work that was going on in India and had friends in the church such as Indian bishops and they used to come and visit quite regularly when we used to go there as children oh. you'd suddenly see this uh, Indian guy suddenly arrive who was obviously a man of the cloth because he wore a dog collar and then he turned out to be a bishop from somewhere in India yeah yeah and so, shipbuilders, there were shipbuilders. There's a guy who crashed the ship twice. That was quite funny. Actually, there's just, it seems to be quite quite a lot of navy people. Yeah. And interestingly enough, well, I'm that's one of the things I'm we built, isn't it? That we built the HMS something important and the HMS something room. else important. Because I'm wondering. I always thought they were just people, but I think now I've heard these stories that of the family. I think there are other parts of the family because one of them was. A viceroy, so he was an important diplomat. Yeah. But I mean, I think that that's another strain, maybe, in the family of d- diplomats and diplomacy and things like that, because obviously cousin Stephen's got that in him as well. Yes, cousin Stephen is a diplomat. But he, uh, I mean, that's one of the things I thought when looking around the room earlier today. Actually, I thought, wow, we're very white, because uh, uh, because it's completely like white room. And then cousin Stephen came in, yes. and because he was a diplomat, he has children in from lots of uh, yes. different uh, ethnicities so and of course Rosie didn't come with Brie right yeah well Rosie didn't come with Brie but but that that evens out the gene pool a bit but we have kept yes. it quite white I guess that's just nature of the people that people hung out with and people meeting I mean we were like I guess could you say aristocracy we're landed gentry oh yeah and yeah. we were that side of the family were yeah land we became landed gentry we, he had to work his way up I well, think well I mean the interesting he, from somewhere thing, in Pembrokeshire exactly this is terrible like I've, I've seen all this history and then out on this podcast is going to be like my version of the history rather than these people who told it I should have got them I hope I get more of them later anyway (laughs) this is one way of history being repeated and repeated until it becomes (laughs) incorrect fable yes (laughs) but no we were like yeah landed gentry and then well as you as you say I mean some it depends which part of the family because obviously the 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 rights the rices came from Wales a lot. Yeah, that's um, right. They had a, a a house in Wales. Yeah, and I mean, quite 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 a few of the family have actually sort of gone back there as well. So I mean, there are there are still very quite a lot of Welsh connections. Well, it's interesting how places come in and out of a family's history because yeah. we went to Wales, exactly. right? And then uh, the, our ancestors came from Wales. They worked their way up on the ships, didn't they? So those people would have well, been military, I guess. That to was a certain at the extent. very beginning of the talk when we came in, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, that's the very beginning of the family. That's mm-hmm. like how we got up to be landed gentry. And then we became industrialists, yeah. pretty much. We owned coal mines, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and we owned canals and we owned Iron. ironworks and we built yeah. stuff. Mills. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> Where are all those skills, Mum? I think they would be helpful. Actually, I don't know if they would be in the modern world. Maybe that's, that's right. maybe our family's story is slightly the story of the modern world. We had all of this industry, but then industry went away. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's probably true. <laughs> so I have to take a photo. No, take a photo. We're in a big park. I mean, it's seven acres, isn't it? Yeah, it said on the itinerary, seven acres. Seven acres of land. 
and we own more than that that's just how how much we've got access to now Strange to think. But I mean, certainly gardening and, and gardeners had been a big thing. Yeah. Gra- grandfather was a big gardener. Um, he he probably had a bit over an acre acre of land at Old House Barham, um, but a very big area of of. Um, lawn and sitting area and then he had a another section that was part flowers and part kitchen garden and then he had a big plot a bit further down where he had um loads of runner beans and every year he used to go there and he used to cut up all the runner beans and salt them down in big batches wisteria look at that tree which is what i hope might have wisteria look like one day but it doesn't at the moment it's beautiful what a beautiful tree uh for a podcast this will be frustrating obviously because you can't see the beautiful tree but it is incredibly beautiful kind of hangs down and there's a child playing in it it's a perfect kind of perfect moment it's beautiful yeah pungent I'm going to have to stop recording for a minute because I'm going to take a photo. ...dinner entertainment, as it were. So if anybody's got any stories to tell, any memories or anything at all, or indeed would like to do a turn... Okay, everybody. So, yeah, I'm Dave. My name is Dave, uh, Dave Pickering, and I do a podcast called Getting Better Acquainted, where I I talk to people I know, from my closest friends and family to someone I might have once met at a party. And uh, today, uh, well, we we qualify as both of those things. I think that you're my my family and your people I've met at a party. So uh, we thought. For the, what I do with my podcast is, is it's lots of different things. It's a kind of uh, an autobiography through conversation, I guess. It's a, a series of conversations with different people about different topics. But one of the other things it is, is it's an, an oral history project. And it's about getting people's life experience and, and, their, and their, uh, their lives, really, in a recording. And so what I thought we thought we would do today is maybe get some people's memories about their, the people that they know from the Osmiston family, for, or their favourite stories from the Osmiston, well, actually sort of rights and the rights and all of that stuff that I'm trying to get my head around. Uh, like the rest of us, exactly right. So, so yeah, so basically, has anybody got a story that they would like to tell? I'm going to be looking around. Yes, here's a man with a story. I like I to see that. Okay. <laughs> For those of you who may have missed that, I'm going to tell this before I've drunk too much. My wife is driving home. I oh, know it's in my hand. Um, I'm Charles Wright, 
and I descend from John Osmerston's next brother down, Henry, and Henry was the Honorary General Secretary of the Church Missionary Society. Now, if you imagine Victorian England and Francis and Selina Wright living at Osmerston, the barracks that was full of all these missionaries, the Church Missionary Society was the export movement of missionaries. It was the empire the empire's sort of engine of missionaries and they would train up and send missionaries to all parts africa india south sea islands you name it they went off but the point of, point of my story is that poor henry he married and he had 14 children not quite as many as, as john i think who had 15 i can't remember we were told earlier today but he had 14 children and he died very sadly in lake coniston He'd gone up after a rather stressful time for a holiday in Lake, on the banks of Lake Coniston, and he'd gone out in a boat um, to swim. So they'd gone out of the boat, and then they thought they'd swim from the boat, and he had a heart attack or a stroke, and he was with two of his sons, who... The two sons could... While they were together, they could hold him up, but they couldn't go for help, so one would leave him, and the other would start sinking. He'd start, you know, couldn't be able to hold him. So very sadly, eventually, he sank and died. And my great-grandfather was watching from the shore as a little boy hadn't gone in the boat. And so the story goes on. This great family, Henry had, I say, 14 children, and his brother-in-law, Edward Wigram, who married another right, um, succeeded him as the general secretary of the Church Missionary Society. And between them, something like they had between them, 15 missionaries went out. But my great-grandfather, the fourth son, was destined to become an accountant. And so he lived in their house in Hampstead, and he would go to his article to a firm of accountants in the city, uh, but he didn't turn up, and they were very worried. Why didn't he turn up? And I've just inherited all the letters that were written about him when he was very young. And the fact was he had a series of mistresses, and he would not go to work, but he would find some excuse. Yeah, I'm not very well today. He would go off and see his mistress of the time. And this, of course, was very counter the, the standards that were set in the family. And he was behaving very badly. And after a while, he then found another girlfriend. This one was even worse. She was a Catholic. And, um, you know, you, you've got to realize that our ancestors, Ichabod and all that lot, they were independents, they were Puritans, and then evangelical Anglicans, and, and there's Alfred, my great-grandfather, becoming involved with a Catholic. It was just worse, absolute scandal, even more letters went around around. Anyway, they got married, nobody turned up, about three or four people turned up to the wedding, and um, they had seven children. Um, Five of them all went to school at Ampleforth, a little up-and-coming school in North Yorkshire. And one became a monk, and one daughter became a nun, Aunt Toria. And they, they lived at Butterley Grange, um, which is just down the road from the Butterley Works. And a marquee was put up on the lawn at Butterley, and a huge dance was held. Lots of people came, everybody danced. And the next morning, the marquee was turned into a church, and the Bishop of Nottingham came, and Aunt Toria was received and put in a closed carriage and taken off to the convent. Um, Uncle Terence became a monk at Ampleforth, and then Uncle Mont. Uncle Mont was the last of the rights to be um, chairman and management director of the Butterley Company, and he had four sons. 
Now, you'd think if you had four sons, there was a chance you might carry on the family name. Well, three of them became monks. <laughs> the fourth one never married and died last year. And anyway, the three monks are still alive, still, but one became abbot um, for eight years. And um, so we got this, I just thought I'd just put into the family history this sort of strange counter family thing of, of, the, of the Catholic, with a Catholic lot. We got a um, lot of us. And um, if you ever were to visit Ampleforth and you were to say, I'm related to the rights, either they'd welcome you with open arms or they might say, oh, God, not another one of those. Anyway, so that's just my little input to the, to, to the family history. Thanks very much, Charles. And John, next. Here's John. Hello. Okay. Um, look, I, this is probably a bit early to do this, but I'm, I, I'm wanting a drink, so um, maybe I should sort of say this right now. <laughs> um, I'm qualified to say something because I really only... I grew up 500 metres away from here or half a mile away, or what it might be called in, um, in England, because uh, I've been living in Australia for the last 40-odd years. Um, so I lived at Balchin's Farm in Strood Green, so I think I'm qualified to say something. Um, what I want to do really before I say anything else is thank Jill for hosting this event. And I think, yes, I think we should put our hands together. <coughs> um, us Muslims are a bit um, strange in many ways. Um, when, I, when I get the rounds of the kitchen at home, my wife says to me, um, I'll go and buy a bloody coal mine. And um, it's, uh, it's one of these things that um, Susie says, anyway. But getting on to Susie, um, I think it's quite extraordinary that we host one of these particular events um, from Australia. Because Susie spent hundreds of hours on the, um, on the computer. Um, <coughs> She spent literally hundreds of hours, uh, of hours on the computer, getting to know you, getting to, know, yeah, getting to know this funny lot that, uh, that are here at the moment. So thank you, Susie, for doing all that. And also, um, we really want to thank the unsung heroes of um, this event to some, ex some extent. There's Nick, who's been editing Koi High for the last five or six years, or ten years, or whatever it may be. Thank you, Nick. This is how really we got together, and also for Anne Giles that spent so many, so many years um, putting it all together. And um, thank you, Anne, very, very much indeed. Um, that that was just a wonderful thing, keeping it going for the, those many years. And and now Nick, of course. And we don't. We hope it's not going to be the end of Koi High with all this twittering and Facebooking and goodness knows what was going on. So please give your contributions to Nick every year on time, so that Nick can get, get it published on time, um, providing he's not busy. <laughs> Nick, spent, Nick and Fiona spent a, um, a lovely week or so with us in Australia um, tasting champagne, and their, li their, their livers didn't dry out once. Um, and finally, uh, I'd like to say um, thank you very much to my children for coming. Oh,
very much. Okay, right. What about on this side of the room? Have we got anybody over here that has a story that they would like to tell about the family? I thought you might, right. Well, is this thing on? Yeah. Um, I'm a grandson of Bertram Osmiston, and in his latter years, you probably know Bertram spent most of his life in India working where they, in the forestry service and hunting wild animals, as Osmondsons do. And um, in his latter years in Oxford, he was very much head of his branch of the family. But as he reached old age, he had a very bad attack of shingles. And so this affected his balance. And he used to live downstairs. And uh, he got a little bit confused as he got very old as to whether he was still in India and quite who were his relatives and what generation they were. And his eldest daughter, Olive, had taken over the running of the house. And grandpa, as my grandpa, was in and out of the house on a short lead. Aunt Olive had lent me her garage to build a motor car. This was before I was married. I wasn't allowed to do it much afterwards. <laughs> and, um, and one day I was working in the garage and it had been grandpa's wont since he retired to go to the botanical gardens in Oxford or to various woods and he would catch a number two bus past the house. On this particular occasion, I heard the front door move. Grandpa walked out or stomped out with his walking stick, his long white beard, his plus fours, hacking jacket and pork pie hat and headed for the gate. And I wondered what I should do. He was followed a moment later by my aunt Ollie. Father, father, where are you going? I'm going to the hill station which would have been somewhere up in the hills in India. Aunt Olive thinks very quickly, how are you going to get there, Father? Without a moment's hesitation, he turned around and said, I'm going to catch a number two bus. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Fantastic. Okay, is there anybody else who has anything that they'd like to say about the Osmiston family? Any other takers? Let's have a look. Okay, I feel like I feel like I feel like I'm calling bingo for some reason uh, here. Uh, okay, right. Well, um, let's see. Going once, going, going twice. Any any women like to say something? We've had heard a lot from heard a lot from the men of the family. I'm being pointed over where I. No, no. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, it, over here. Yeah. Right. Um, my name's uh, Charles Nichols, and uh, I'm come through a family through Violet uh, Osmiston, who married my grandfather Ben Nichols. And um, on the talking about Hawker's Court, um, it was my I think great grandfather um, Henry Nichols who originally bought uh, Hawker's Court. It was then called Hawker's Lodge, and it was uh, just a shooting lodge, and then sold it to um, John Osmiston. Um, and it's got quite an interesting history, if you ever have a chance to look at the leaflet here about Hawker's Lodge. Uh, one of the things I remember with my father telling me was that um, when Ben married Violet, they uh, went to live at Browning's which was my family home uh, near Curdford, about three miles away. And um, quite soon after they married, uh, 
Violet sort of decided she, her mother needed her and left um, Ben and came to look after her mother after the death of uh, Violet's father. And uh, which was a bit hard, I thought, uh, on my grandfather. But anyway, they managed to enlarge Browning's and one of the rooms they built was uh, uh, overlooking towards this way so she could almost hear the bell, if not see Hawker's, Hawker's Court. Um, one of my early memories of Hawker's Court was to come up here and go swimming in one of the old water tanks up here was converted into a swimming pool, and it, and it was hell, exactly. <laughs> because it was surround, surrounded by trees, it never got any sun, it wasn't heated, and uh, it was very deep. <laughs> it, it nearly did, because I, I, I nearly drowned in it. I remember running around at probably age about four, slipped in, and for some reason I didn't struggle, I just I had gumboots on, and I lay in the water, and that kept me afloat. And I remember this girl, Pamela Campbell, uh, who dived in and rescued me. But um, so I'm here now. So <laughs> um, I'd just like to add one other thing that anybody here, probably under the age of 30, might find this weekend uh, a touch um, a bit boring at times. But, um, but when they get to uh, older years, they look back and I think I think a jolly glad they did attend this this weekend because you know it's our ancestry it sometimes maybe made us what we are so um, that's it well that was a very lovely thought i'm 31 so i guess i've just escaped from from being somebody who finds it boring let's see now is there anybody else now oh here one more over here okay well i'm stephen nash um and my mother was um, Gwendolyn uh, Selina Osmerston, and uh, she was a daughter of Lionel Sherbrooke Osmerston, and um, her immediate elder, elder brother was the, was the uh, father of Margaret and June um, Ney Osmerston. They were, of course, like so many of, of, of that generation, born in India, uh, the uh, one was uh, the eldest brother was uh, born at I think in 1902 Campion Fitzwater Osmerston, um, and 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 then it was Robert and then my mother uh, Gwendolyn Selina, and there were actually two other small siblings born and we're talking about the Bombay Presidency of Western India, um, in the area close to Nasik, um, it, it's a Marathi speaking area. And two of them actually died in infancy, and I've always thought it'd be rather nice, I've never done it, but I'm still hoping to do it one day, go, go and uh, seek their, their graves in Nasik Church, I think it is. Nasik is a big uh, town, a railway junction, in fact, in the hinterland uh, behind Bombay. And um, I remember when my uh, grandfather, who lived, he lived, he came back eventually and... Um, he had a career in forestry in, in, in England. He, um, firstly, he was, uh, during the First World War, he was a senior forester in the forest of Dean, and then he proceeded from there to the New Forest, and, and it was actually from the New Forest that my mother met my father, who was working as a schoolmaster in Dorset. Uh, 
But anyway, I was just so impressed by how tough these people were. I mean, my, my mother remembers from her, her earliest childhood, uh, literally, you know, there was the fear that tigers, uh, they often were sleeping in the, in the bush. Uh, because they were foresters, they were very hands-on foresters, as far as I can gather. So uh, they actually were sleeping under tents for a lot of the time, and there was always a fear that uh, tigers would take the dogs from under their beds, and so they were always very sort of careful at night to make sure that the dogs weren't snatched by tigers. And in fact, in our bedroom at home in London, uh, I have a very nice sort of sepia photograph of um, my mother as a small baby, and uh, June, June and Margaret's father, and the elder brother, Camplian, in a, in a very strange-looking, well, rickety-looking bullock cart, um, probably functioned perfectly well, but um, with, a, with an Indian uh, uh, gentleman leading the bullocks and a, an ayah lady there, there in the, in the bullock cart with them. Anyway, just, just how very tough they were, living so much of the time, and so many of the, that generation of Osmistons were rather like that. That's how they liked to spend their lives, that this was their chosen career. They were very proud of being foresters and um, they were jolly good at it obviously a whole generation of them anyway my grandfather came back and eventually he retired to a very nice uh, place in east kent uh, gunston uh, this which is a small village uh, between canterbury and sandwich and that it is a village that if you're in that part of the world you should visit it's a it's, it's a sort of cul-de-sac. It's a place where time has rather s sort of stopped. And it still is rather like that. In fact, when my mother first came back, uh, or first came to England, when she was about five years old in 1910, uh, because she'd been born in 1905, so she came to England for the first time in 1910. And she spoke, at that time, she spoke more Marathi than English. In fact, almost completely she spoke Marathi because she was always with the ayah and the, and the bullock cart, cart gentleman. So um, she came and they went and lived in this um, village, Gunston, which is uh, the village where um, the, the Plumtree family and the Fitzwalters lived. And uh, they made a, a house available to them, a very lovely house called the Dower House, which is where they lived to start with. That was before they went off to the Forest of Dean and then to the, to the New Forest. Um, so there they were, and uh, eventually my grandfather went back to live in that part of East Kent, in, in uh, Barham, which is another nice village not far from Canterbury. And my last sort of reminiscing about all this is my grandfather actually, um, Lionel Sherbrooke Osbridgeton, he lived until the ripe age of 99. He died in the 1960s. And I remember um, there was this uh, a discussion of, the, um, of somebody going on the number two bus. Well, my grandfather also. Um, he, he quite frequently saw tigers in the garden in East Kent, in the village of Barham. So th these were the lasting memories which he took with him eventually uh, when he passed away, age 99. I leave you with that. Thank you.
Just, just a little uh, footnote about the same grandfather. Um, I remember saying to him, thinking he was a very old man, what's it like to be old grandfather? And he said, hmm. And then he said, well, if you can't see very well and you can't hear very well, it's not much fun. Well, there we go. That's a bright note to end that bit with <clears throat> from my mother. Um, and... Is there anybody else before I wrap it up? I think that there should be more women speaking than... Oh, okay, there's a gentleman over there, but we're going to go to... I think we'll go to Jill first, surely. All right, we're gonna, well, we're, you're going you're gonna to headline it then. We'll, we'll, right, okay. Here we go, this is Bill. Well, I, I didn't think I had many connections with the Osmiston family, but in fact it was a very important part of my upbringing and my children because if you visited grandpa or you visited uncle and you wanted, and you're rather fond of Smarties, the only place you could get Smarties from in the house was out of the mouth of the tiger. <laughs> I can only apologize that I didn't bring any Smarties today and I hope you'll forgive me that. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to go to Jill. No, we'll, we'll close with Jill. Okay. Thanks, thanks, David. I just wanted to mention one more Henry Osmiston. There are an awful lot of them, but this one was my father, and he really approved of gatherings like this. He was a great one for collecting family history and writing it down. And he published a number of books and uh, encouraged other Osmistons to write their diaries. Um, he, died, he died about six years ago. And if he hadn't died, he would certainly be here today. And I quite understand that statement that those of us who are under 30 seem to think this is rather an eccentric arrangement to get together as big families. Um, and certainly growing up as the son of a, an eccentric professor, which my father certainly was, was very embarrassing at times. I remember I went to quite a good public school. You can probably tell from my accent. Um, but whereas most of my colleagues' fathers would turn up in Rolls Royces to collect them at the weekend, uh, half term, etc., my father would turn up in the little Morris Minor with the rust, rusted panels and the rotten woodwork in his, in his boiler suit. <laughs> and I would to hide behind the bushes and then rush out, jump in and say, go, go, quick. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, once you get over the age of 30 and begin to lose your self-pride, uh, um, it's, it's quite good to be an eccentric Osmister and you don't worry about being, uh, having eccentric forebears. And I think that's, that's the joy of, of this gathering here. We've got a lot of eccentric people around and let's, let's, live and enjoy that. Uh, he he uh, grew up, he was actually the son of the very youngest of John Wright's children, the 15th, and to follow up Stephen Nash's comment on a whole generation of Indian foresters, that, that was true, but it was actually four generations. Those, those foresters who went out to India, the four, four of the sons of, of John Wright, uh, I think set a precedent, and especially BBO. 
with his story of uh, wildlife and adventures in Indian forests, which in one of those green books over there, you know, it was so inspiring to young men of the day and, and girls that a lot of people wanted to follow in their footsteps. And that's principally why my father, who really admired Gordon Osmond, B.B. Uh, Osmiston, um, followed out, wanted to follow out the Indian Forestry Service and go and not necessarily shoot tigers and bears and that sort of thing, but to be a forester in the wild forests. He was born in India, and so he, he started life in the right, right way. He, his earliest memories were riding elephants through the forest and getting the elephants to pick fruits, or getting the maha to get the elephant to pick fruits and uh, leaves off the trees so that he could identify them. And with that grounding in botany, he then went on to do forestry. And so he was the second generation of foresters, but India by then was no more. So he went to East Africa and was a forester for 15 years in Uganda. But that wasn't the end of it. His daughter was also a forester, and now his granddaughter is about to do forestry. If only she can find a university which still does it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't suppose there will be any more generations, but four generations of foresters epitomizes, I think, the Osmistons. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for that. That was uh, of great interest to me because I've always been trying to work out this forestry connection because my granddad was, uh, was, was born in India too, but he came uh, over when he was how old, Mum? Six? Four. Uh, okay. Well, um, I'm going to round up my bit because I'm going to give you to Jill and I believe she's going to be making announcements. Exactly. So uh, thanks very much, everybody, for listening to this. I'm going to try and put it together in a podcast and it will be out probably sometime after September. I'm really that busy, but it will be there. And when it comes out, I will let you guys know and I will put it in Koi High or whatever needs to happen so that people know about it and we can listen back to it then. And in, in a way, I found with my show, it's nicer to listen back to it of quite a few months later because you've got some perspective and you're hearing the words again rather than you're hearing what you heard yesterday or last week. Okay, well, thanks very much. And here is Jill. Um, really, all I was going to say was that we're going to have some strawberries and some brownies for pudding. If you bear with us, we'll clear this away and um, put that out. But in case I don't get chance to say this, I want, do want to thank John and Susie very, very much. They have been absolutely amazing. I mean, organising um, everybody, getting the um, guest lists out and getting the replies and being so totally efficient about every single reply that came back. They have been absolutely amazing. And although it's happened here, it would never have happened without the two of them. So thank you so much, both of you. And loads of other people have, have had an input into the day and I don't want to start listing them because if I do, I shall miss somebody and that would be even worse. But Dave, thank you so much for what you've done. You came and you offered and it's been great and we'll, we will really, really appreciate it. When we get the end result, I know that we shall be um, really thankful that you... I don't know what it's going to be like, sound quality-wise. I'll worry. tell you that in advance, but it'll be something. <laughs> it'll be something. <laughs> and... Um, Yes, it's been it's just been absolutely amazing and, and it's so great to see everybody here and, 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 and just wonderful that people have come from so far and really from so far. So that's that's great. Um, 
one thing I will say, there's a couple of people asked me how, how I ended up at Hawker's Court, um, bearing in mind that there's a lot of family history here. And I share Charlie's memories of the swimming pool here, and it nearly put us off buying the house, actually, when somebody mentioned to us that the house was for sale at Hawker's Court, and I said, I never want to go near there ever again. <laughs> Having been forced by my father, as I guess you probably were, to get into this terrible, rusty tank of a swimming pool, which was actually just over there, beyond my garage. And when I stood there trembling on the side of the pool, being told, don't be so stupid. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> uh, as were many things in our childhoods, I think. We were made to do a lot of things that we didn't like. I remember sitting in the kitchen at Ash Lynn's with, um, with, with John when, when we were children and eating pigeon pie and getting the shot and, and what have you. We weren't allowed to eat in the dining room. We had to eat in the kitchen with the cook. John and I have a sort of intermittent history really we um we sort of our paths crossed sort of on and off throughout our childhood but um crossed actually even more when john was living and working in london with who was to become my future husband and um so i met nigel through through john because they had both been at ardingly together so that was that was sort of that was an interesting that was an interesting time um, Nigel died sadly five years ago, um, but we moved here in 1987. Um, by sheer chance, Joanna, my elder daughter, was riding up through the field here, which we were allowed to do in those days because it pro wasn't properly developed in those days, the estate, and you could ride through. And she said, there's a house for sale there, and I think, she said, I've seen it in the paper, and I think it's one at Hawker's Court, which is where they, they had their ponies down here, across the common, and she said, why can't we go and live there? And so it was because of that, really, that we found the house, which was not in a very good state, and um, it had this derelict bungalow in the garden, and um, it was supposed to have been demolished. Part of the deal was that the, the, whoever bought the property demolished the bungalow. Well, of course, that never happened. And... Um, we, we kept it as a shed for a while and then we renovated it and my father spent the last five years of his life in the bungalow, in the garden. And having spent a lot of his childhood, he was Osmond Osmondston, here at Hawkeston, remembering things like the jungle and the, the pond and, and, and the garden as it was when it was a, you know, it was a huge garden. He remembered that. He was Cecil's... Cecil's son? You're deaf. <laughs> I can't remember. Cecil with his father, who was John's son. Yeah. So he remembers. He remembers the 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 dragging of the rocks down from Bedham to make the big rockery, and he remembers lots of things about this. And being able to give him the chance to live here for the last five years of his life, he, he just felt he'd come home and he felt there was a huge emotional connection with it. So that was a great pleasure to us. And I'm still here and <laughs> I think I shall stay here till somebody carries me out in a box actually because it suits me very well. But it's really lovely to have been able to share it all with you this weekend and, 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 and great to see everybody. Tomorrow morning, 
I'll be walking around having a look at the uh, family graves uh, before heading back to London and trying to trying to catch up on all the things I haven't been able to do because I've been been doing this road trip with the family and yeah so I'm going to be engaging with and getting better acquainted with the Osmiston family and my mum Okay, so here we are, standing at the grave of the gentleman named John Osmiston, who died in 1901, was born in 1831. This is the guy who had 15 children, is it? Yeah, two wives. Two wives, 15 children. He was a religious gentleman. And there's a few other Osmistons buried next next to him. Children. And this is... Where's this church? This is... Is it... I want to say Kirkdale, does that sound? Kirkford. Kirkford, yeah. And... Osmiston, Osmiston, Osmiston. This says, I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In loving memory of John Osmiston of Hawkeshurst Court, born June the 21st, 1831, died November the 1st, 1901. Also of Florence Mary, wife of the above, born March 19. 1841 and died August 19, 1910 and there's a quote at the bottom for her I think as well but I can't quite make that out it's a grey sky day and we're standing under a yew tree which is where these graves are we've, we've, we've spent a remarkable amount of time going round the graveyard looking at every single grave not finding the gravestone and then we went in and asked the in the church and then we got the key to discover where our ancestor was buried now John Osmiston's the guy with the beard that was on the horsey yes so John Osmiston's picture was a frequent feature in my childhood with sort of a very long beard and a stern look on his face sitting in a a kind of wooden chair on a kind of ancestral heirloom. Outside Hawkehurst? Yeah, he was outside Hawkehurst, Hawkehurst. I think, in that picture, which is where this reunion has been today. And that was like where we all sat and ate food at the dinner table in one of the households. And it was where we all sat when we came in from the garden in another household. Lots of fighting happened between between siblings on that hall seat with under the stern watch of John Osmiston who was a he was a religious man wasn't he yeah and he lost the fortune as well as the high church um, didn't like Catholics Church of England and and disliked Catholics yeah 
and uh, yeah, he lost some of the money as well as gained some of the money, I guess. Well, theoretically, lost it all. But there when they say lost it all, there was a considerable amount left to buy Hawker's Court. Yeah. After Osmiston Manor lost the fortune, but could still buy a mansion. Yes. So yeah, it's all relative money, as we as we know. And then there was the picture, the other picture of the ancestor was in the house, I remember growing up, Mum. Which one? There was like this, the Admiral type, looks like some kind of... Well, I don't know who that is, but having been to this family reunion, I'm going to look at it again. I think it was a Beresford something. Because that, that picture uh, terrified me in my youth. I always thought it looked at me. I always thought it could, it, it could actually see me. Yeah. So I, I used to race down the corridor to get to the bathroom without looking at the picture so it didn't see me. Uh, well, the only grave we yeah, don't see. Yeah, I was very scared of that ancestor. Is Cecil's. We found Olive, we found Because the Ghostbusters 2 movie found where John. the picture has eyes. Yes, we found John. And we found Violet. We found Violet. We found the, the Olive. But this is and then these ones, you can't read the writing, so I assume that these are no, the no, sons. Around the, around the corner, it's not them. What do you they're mean, around the corner? The, the, Oh, it's on the other side. Yeah, and they're tucker ones. Okay. Well, what about these ones under the tree? Oh, well, I I can't really read what they say. Well, Cecil is here. We don't have to necessarily see a stone. No, no, I don't mean literally here, but I mean he's in the graveyard. Whether we find the marker that says he is or not, we know he is. John Osmiston, this John Osmiston isn't the one that started everything really, that's all back very far back in in that Admiral Ooh, here types here's days. An here's Cecil. In loving memory of Cecil. Cecil. Cecil Alvend Fitzherbert Osmiston. Let's try that again. Cecil Alvend Fitzherbert Osmiston. I get the feeling that my friend Clive would enjoy our family names quite likes that kind of name the fruit of the spirit in lo- is love that's quite a nice quote so we found them all something that i can't read we i found, gather the we bible not sure which part who um, who actually the daughters were nichols and mcgiven and you find a lot of nichols and mcgivens in the, in the family tree because obviously violet's uh line were not Paul Osmiston. Oh, that's right, interesting. We've done all the graves, haven't we? We have done all the graves. Except John Osmiston doesn't come out very well. But it's well. not in a good place for the light of your camera. No. That's not brilliant, but it's. It might be better when I see it on camera. And do we feel anything kind of connection to these, these, these ancestors while we look at their graves? Well, I think it's very interesting that they're buried under a yew tree because I, I always remember a yew tree at Old House Barham. And my grandfather telling me that it was poisonous to goats. And um, in my father's youth, he had a pet goat. And they didn't protect the goat from the yew tree and the goat died. Right. So that's, that's the connection you've got here <laughs> under these trees. I rather like the story of Uncle Campion that you keep, you've been saying about... Um, oh, yes. Yeah, what... what, what about about him, well, all my life I thought of him as as the unmarried bachelor uncle. So gay, I guess. No, 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 no. No, just not that. But but he, he 
just I mean, unlucky the, in love or just well, not no, interested no, no, in love? No, he, 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 he always give, gave us what I thought were very generous presents for ah. our birthday. And, and I thought that was rather nice. They were always very inappropriate because right. he didn't have children. So we, we had um, nice bath oils or something like that at, at birthdays. And I remember that. And, um, and he, in fact, he, he was in the army and uh, was taken prisoner uh, in a, a Japanese, Japanese prisoner of war yeah. camp. And when he, he, he was presumed dead, and his then girlfriend um, uh, obviously was told he was dead and, and married someone else. And so when he came back, um, a very sickly person from, from the camps, um, it, she was married. And he, ne he never married until um, he was diagnosed with having throat cancer. Uh, and his childhood sweetheart's um, husband had just died and he decided to pr propose to her and they got married just before he died and she actually nursed him in his, his last days which was all very romantic. Yeah, I mean, I guess he waited all of his life till his childhood sweetheart became uh, available again. Well, yes. Unfortunately, that was when he was also had an expiry date. I mean, I mean, a lot of people would have, I suppose, I mean, if we'd been a, a sort of money-grabbing family, we would have thought, oh, the family fortune's gone the wrong way. But I thought the family fortune of that part went exactly the right way. What do you mean? Where did it go? To, well, what, it went to, to his wife and oh, to his... her son. Ah, uh, OK, so it went out, out of the family into a different oh, family. The family as we knew it. Yeah. yeah. Into his family. Yes. The one that his he chose one for that himself. he chose yeah. at the end. Yeah. Which, again... No uh, relation, but... A relation to yeah, him. And yeah, and I thought that was really very nice. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, obviously, John Osmiston died in 1901, so you never would have met met him or any of these. Well, uh, some of them died in 89. That's 81, that. Violet. Uh, Algeva, El, El, Agnes Nichols, she died in... McGibbon did. Yeah, they, well, those ones di definitely died in, in this century. One of them died in 81 when I was born that year. Yeah. One of them in 89. That was but when it doesn't actually say when Violet died, does it? Oh, no, yeah, she, she died in 81. Now, she must have been about 100 like grandfather was. Right, she died Interesting in Interesting how Stephen made him 99 and I make him 98. Well, that's the sort of thing that happens in I know, families, I isn't know, it? I know, I know. I mean, you might be right, but I mean, I'm bad with numbers, so I, mean, I wouldn't correct him. Sure. So they died in night. Well, so they. I mean, so you you could have met some of these people. I would. Have Did met. family reunions only really start in '94 then? No. Well, I don't know. The sort of modern ones did. Right. Right. I've got to have one of the church. Yeah. Keep turning it off and. Oh, the sky's gone all beautiful. That's always nice. Right now. I could, wait a minute, if we go back a bit, you can make see it, if I could get the family grape and the church in. Make it look like a, just budge a bit. nice day. Yeah, no, I can move completely out of the way, Mum. That's fine with me. I don't know if it's done it, because it gets to the point where you can't see the picture you're taking. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of John Osmiston's grave in, but just a half. That's John Osmiston, that's Violet. The church. Yeah, that's quite a good one. Maybe if I go a bit further back. Taking yeah. photographs. Oh, but then you can't see so much of the... Oh, yeah. 
You either get the grades or you get the chips. Taking photographs of markings that remember ancestors who have died. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's not exactly a copy of a copy of a copy, more a memory of a memory of a memory. A memorial acrum, that's a bit of a pretentious thing to say, I probably won't put that in the show. A copy of a copy of a copy, a memory of a memory of a memory. Oh! Oh, no, Ark. Arkwright. Right. No, no, no. Right. Died August, and of oh. Lionel Cecil Osmiston. Oh. Now, Lionel Cecil Osmiston, is that the one that we're descended from? No. Isn't it Lionel was one of the... No, it was Lionel Sherbrooke. Oh, right. But this is another one. And this one here, wife of Lionel Osmiston. Oh, right. so Alan Joseph Arkwright. Daughter. So what? I understand. In loving memory of Alan Joseph Arkwright and of Elizabeth Lillian, daughter of Above's beloved wife of Lionel Osmond. I don't understand. I, no, I don't understand them either, but... I mean, this is how I always, reading these gravestones is like a, a mini version of how I feel when I'm looking at family trees. I like see like this person, this person, this person, this person. I, I just can't keep it in my head. I never read The Lord of the Rings that way. Memory fault. I didn't care about the different origins of the Baggins family and stuff like that. I could never read those bits. Well, I'll have to delete before I take any more photos. So. Give me the story. Always the story. Right. Lovely sunshine all of a sudden. Wow. So here we are saying farewell to our ancestors in the That's sunshine. A bay tree, I think. I'm becoming interested in the trees. Oh, don't hurt yourself. No, it isn't. So it must be uh, and the other one where the leaves look sunny. Wow, it's got really sunny. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? But our graves, are, the graves of our ancestors, are still mostly in shade. How poetic! It's only got Lionel Cecil, along with because they're not husband and wife. No, I don't understand the relation. Why it's got Osmiston written on that grave? Unless they're religious. Well, you know, in the modern world, what the hell does illegitimate children mean? Well, I know. I mean, all of your children are pretty illegitimate. No, they're not. They were <laughs> born in Wedlock. No, they weren't. Yes, they were. No, they weren't. Rosie wasn't born in Wedlock. You had, yes, she was. You had Rosie before you got married. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah, that was subsequent. Yeah. Uh, yes. No, and, I, I apologise. And, OK, yeah, you were married to Dad when, when I was born. But yeah. <laughs> but, yes. But it was, it's still more, it's more complicated than you were just married, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, what's legitimate mean? It doesn't mean anything. No. That's my opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously it means something, but in I this, con in this context, something. it means nothing, really. Family is family is family. Sometimes you make it. 
through choice, sometimes it comes to you through blood and everything in between really. You're just connected to people. However they come. As mum deletes some pictures to make room for some more, say goodbye from the graves of our ancestors. So here I am in my hotel room. I've had a few drinks with my mum, having come back from the reunion. Uh, going to go back again tomorrow and meet up with the people, so I'm looking forward to that. What have I learned from this experience? You've just heard some really great stories from some really nice people. So I guess that's something I've learned. I mean, it seems to me that the narrative of Dave is anxious before he goes to something and then goes to it and then realises that he doesn't have to be... He doesn't have to feel like he doesn't fit in. He can just be himself and people will respond to that if it's if he's comfortable with himself like when I'm basically when I am uncomfortable being myself I give off funny vibes but when I'm comfortable with being myself when I relax when I just accept that hey I can be myself and people probably won't judge me and if they do I can deal with it then things get better um, but I think that that narrative is getting a bit repetitive it seems to me that every getting better acquainted special where I go to a place from my past like a a place I used to live or in this case to a family reunion has that kind of narrative but I guess today has had that kind of a narrative to it I have learned some truths about my background my family history that I have not paid attention to before and this time I did pay attention and I listened to the people talking and they had interesting things to say and I really don't know why I didn't do that as much in the past. It is really worth paying attention to these things. I mean, for example, I learned that my mum telling me that my granddad was in the Raj was inaccurate. It's always good to find out things that you've been told that are, uh, when you're young that you've believed unquestionably unquestioningly are wrong that's uh, always interesting I have had my I've had my prejudices challenged but I've also found it hard to overcome my prejudices I guess but I think it's kind of like what one of the guys said in when they were talking about the family be aware of it or pay attention to it because it is what makes us who we are and that's really true and it, it is true and I guess I am made who I am by the people who I have descended from although I mean we're all made who we are by the people I've descended from I mean not just my family but lots and lots of families at every level of society created the industrial age and then in that industrial age bridges were built and industries were built coal mines happened 
steelworks happened, railways happened, all of that stuff happened and it made us where we are now. It wasn't all good, but it all was, you know, and that's what made us where we're at now. And then again, those things crash and those things, we don't have industry in this country anymore. We are all who we are because of of what's come before us. And it is interesting to look at history and to try and understand your ancestors. And it's interesting that I came from an eccentric group of people doing interesting things. I, I also don't have any similarities to them in terms of engineering skills and all sorts of things. I've got other heritages. We're all dual heritage. We've all got both a mother and a father's heritage and they've got two other people's heritage and the heritages go back out, up and back, up the family tree or back into history. So the thing is that Niels Bohr said there are trivial truths and there are great truths. The opposite of a trivial truth is plainly false. The opposite of a great truth is also true. So I would say that that gentleman whose name, because I'm recording in a hotel room and I can't play it back and all sorts of things, I've forgotten and I don't know, probably was a Wright or a Osmiston. Well, I'm very sorry if you're listening to I've forgotten your name, but that gentleman spoke a profound truth that we are created by our ancestors and we should look back and everybody under 30 should be interested in what happened before they existed. And me, I'm on the cusp. I'm 31. I'm in this position of having been in that arrogant position of not wanting to know anything about the past and being in this new position of trying to make sense of the past. And what he said was a profound truth because the opposite is also true. We should not be defined by our ancestors we are not responsible for their actions. We are not completely defined by what has gone before because we come into contact with now and we come into contact with other people and we come into contact through a series of just chances with things that change the way we are and the way our lives go. So... All of the people I saw at this family reunion are like that. They're defined by their past, but they're also not defined by their past. They're defined by their ancestors, and they're also not. They're much more enshrined in the Osmiston family than I am. They are interested, and they know each other, and they have much more connections with each other than I do. And so they are more defined in a way by their ancestors than I am or by those ancestors than I am I mean one of the things I want to be is less defined by my immediate ancestors I want to to find a way of of changing some of the things about me uh, that I have in me and that is a a thing that about trying not to be defined by those ancestors. But 
in a way to understand and change the way I am I have to look back at the past if one of the problems I have or had with my family tree is that my family tree was if not the Raj was part of the British Empire was industrialization was uh, people with money and land that other people didn't have if that's part of my problem with my past the only way I can change that legacy is by understanding why that happened understanding why the British Empire existed and understanding that it existed and was run by people who through accident of birth were born into their situation it's easy to think that people who are born into poverty have no control over that situation and and therefore it is not their fault but it's really hard to think that people who are born into money it's not their fault either and the history that we had today that I heard today was a history of people who struggled often in different ways from different positions to get to other positions or had mental health problems or had uh, religious convictions I mean people are so complicated people are so damn complicated and I liked the people I met today. I didn't meet as many of them as I could have done if I could have felt more comfortable in myself. Once I got the microphone out, I was much more confident and comfortable with myself, which is a a thing that's good. It's good to be confident with yourself, but it's bad to have a crutch and I'd like to get rid of it. And the people were so nice and they were so nice to have me. And, and family history... I'm wrong. I mean, that's the thing. It's it, it, there's The opposites are both true. Family history is interesting and valuable. And the people cultivating it and looking into it, they're, they're creating a community, connections between people. I believe in that. I believe in us looking at each other, connecting with each other. That's why I make this show. To connect with other people is what it's all about for me. Empathy is what I really truly believe in as a way as a way forwards as a way to be as a way of being happy with myself and I think that the people I met today had empathy they had, they were having empathy with these people in their past they were looking back at history and they were looking at these people who they didn't even know and they were trying to imagine how those people were and they were remembering people they did know and they were looking into who those people were I mean that's what it's all about so I've got a load of audio some really bad quality some okay quality some good quality probably and I've captured what I could it's only the tip of the iceberg of all of these people's stories of all of these people's lives and that's what I want to do with this project is to connect with people and to get more of our lives into a shared space where we can listen to each other and see where each other are at and think about that think about it in comparison to our own lives that's been my experience here that's been the other people who came here's experience 
we've all met some people some people have met strangers other people have met people they know well but we've all come to a place and shared some stuff people have given me the opportunity to record them and to share them with the world and I'm not ashamed of who I am and my background I'm not ashamed of any of the strands that have fed into where I'm at because that's ridiculous those things are just things they're just strands they've all got positives and negatives about them they're all interesting they're all boring because as Niels Bohr said the opposite of a great truth is also true it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with the Osmiston family and the last thing I ask my guests to, to do is to say goodbye to the audience but really I was their guest thank you for having me so as their guest I'm saying goodbye to the audience bye find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way and on the stitcher smart radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.